0: Good. James chapter four verses thirteen through seventeen. You ready for the word this morning? Ah, oh, man, nine a.m. was a, a, just an amazing service, and uh, I can't wait to to dig into this uh, to this message this morning. I think it's an important one, a great way to close, close out our blitz series. James chapter four verses thirteen through four, uh, thirteen and fourteen says this: "Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Come on, how many of you know that to be true? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow." And then he asks this question, what is, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And that's where we've kind of pulled this idea, blip, from. We're, we're asking ourselves, if, if our life is just a blip on the radar, if it's just a moment, if it just is here one second, gone the next, how do we manage it? What do we, what do we do with it? How do we steward it well? And that's what we've been going over for the past three weeks. Today's the fourth week of this series. So today as we close out our series, blip, I want to speak to you from the subject, that didn't work. That didn't work. As we look at why our change doesn't work, and in understanding that, how to actually make change last in our lives. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, that it's active, and that it's powerful. I thank you for this amazing church that is gathering today, all throughout the day. Not the four walls, not the carpet, the lights, but the church, the people, all of us. I thank you, God, that we can gather in community together, and in doing so, where there's unity, it commands a blessing. So, God, right now, we, we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. We pray that you would speak to us right now. Our hearts are open. Our ears are listening to you. We need your word in our life. Change us, transform us in this moment. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody, shouted. Amen. Amen. I don't know how many, how many of you would be like me, but you've uttered these words many, many moments in your life. Well, that didn't work. Right. No matter what the situation, whether it's building IKEA furniture, um, <laughs> raising children, <laughs> any one moment that we find ourselves in where we have the opportunity to utter the phrase that that didn't that didn't work that didn't work. Um, my wife, I think, by and large, probably uh, wishes that I had better building. Uh, capacity in my life. I'm not good at building things. I can't work with wood. Um, I can't work with Legos. Like, (laughs) it it eludes me. I'm not good at building things. And so she looks at Pinterest and and sees things. I look at Pinterest. Just like a side note, did you know Pinterest is from hell? Just putting that out there, okay? Um, (laughs) Okay. As you get on there and you realize quickly all the things that you can't do. <laughs> and so I can't build things. I can't remodel things. I want to remodel my kitchen, but I, I, I won't. And so it's going to take many, many years before we can actually do it because I need to pay somebody else to do it. Because I, that stuff just doesn't come naturally because I find myself over and over and over again saying the same thing. That didn't work. That didn't work. And then I'm easily frustrated. Anybody else easily frustrated by things that don't work? When, when they're supposed to work, the other night we're watching a movie and literally we got almost like two-thirds of the way through the movie and then, my, then my, the player like just stopped working. The video stopped working. And I was like, okay. So I went over, I ejected the video, put the video back in and then the video wouldn't show up on my screen. And then I spent the next 20 minutes trying to figure out how to make the stupid thing work, getting frustrated and frustrated and frustrated and frustrated because it just wouldn't work. And I think many of us go through life that way many times when it comes to this idea of change is that we try to change, we try to move forward, we try to enter into seasons of progress, and we arrive at different moments along the journey, stating to ourselves, this isn't working. It's not going the way that I want it to. It didn't look the way that I that I wanted to. You ever you ever been there before? Maybe you're trying to change your diet or your your health regime or or working out or your your faith or your relationships. You're trying to change the way that you see things and perceive things. Maybe you're trying to change your way out of an addiction or you're trying to change your way out of a situation or or a certain circumstance. And and the more that we try, the more that we work, the more that we do, the more that we work, the more that we do, we arrive to this moment almost every single time where we go, it's not working. We say to ourselves, well, that, that didn't work. And then as quick as we try to do it, we give up. We stop. We say to ourselves, after one mishap, that didn't work. And instead of getting back up and pressing forward, we stay stationary and never experience the freedom and the power and the purpose of a life in pursuit of God and all that he has for us. Why do we do this? I think, for one, it's easy to give up because it's easier. It's more comfortable. It's safe. I mean, if we're honest, if I, if I could challenge us this, this morning, change require, or staying the same requires less of us, doesn't it? I think another reason that we have a tendency when trying to change and then it doesn't go the way that we want it to and we stop, well, the reason we do it is because we don't really know how to keep going. You get the momentum, right? And you're doing something, you're doing something, and then there's a mishap, and then you're like, man, I don't know what to do next. And then the one that's probably most confronting of all is we just simply don't want to keep going. I don't want to. This is hard. I don't want to do this. Brendan Manning, the author, of the book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, wrote this in his book, The Signature of Jesus. For contemporary Christians, there is an essential difference between belief and faith. Our religious beliefs are the visible expression of our faith. Our personal commitment to the person of Jesus. However, if the Christian beliefs inherited from our family and passed off to us by our church tradition are not grounded in a shattering, life-changing experience of Jesus as the Christ, then the chasm between our creedal statements and our faith experience widens and our witness is worthless. He then goes on to uh, to pen this most powerful statement. He says this, the gospel will persuade no one unless it has so convicted us that we are transformed by it. In this series over the past four weeks, it's all been about making the most of this blip that we've been given to steward. We've looked at what it takes to make the most out of life, how to live with vision, and how to overcome the resistance that comes with forward progress. However, I'm acutely aware that there is a vital piece of the puzzle that we have not worked through yet. That which is required of us. And the truth is, is that for many of us, we can work through a series like this and say, that was great information, but then continue going about life the way that we've been going about life. Actually, not, actually trying to change then eludes us, trying to transform, moves, trying to become something, gets out of the way and we just kinda go about life as, as is. But I wanna be a person that changes. I want to be a person that transforms. I want to be a person that becomes. That my life is becoming. And for many of us, if we're not careful, we can simply slip into the life that exists in the same. Look at me, church. We haven't been called to be the same. We've been called to become. God ultimately has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives, and so that's what I want to deal with this morning. I want to make the most out of my blip, just as much as I know that you want to make the most out of your blip, and so this morning, we're going to talk about some truths that I think are really, really important to actually changing. So what I want to do today is I want to look at three reasons that our change doesn't work. Three reasons that our change doesn't work in hopes that by seeing these things, we can actually work our change. Does that work with everybody? All right, I need your help this morning. Come on, be shot number one. Remember, the first reason that our change doesn't work is that we see a destination, not a discipline. We see a destination and not a discipline. Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 through 14 says this, Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, But I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I love that. Paul said, I press forward. In other words, there's something day in and day out that I'm that I'm moving towards. But for many of us, the reason change doesn't work is simply because we see a destination, not a discipline. We think that we magically arrive somewhere. You ever realize that before? Like somehow, in some way, we we automatically end up at awesome. We just arrive. But what, that would make it easy, wouldn't it? Gosh, that'd be brilliant. If one day I could just be like, I'm awesome. I arrive of a of, riven, of a riven, <laughs> but I've come to find out that a life of change, it's not about a destination, but this is why we get frustrated, because we want to be at the destination, don't we? We want to we get to this place where everything is like, oh, it's awesome, I've, I've arrived, I'm a super Christian, and I've met those guys, you hate those guys, I hate those guys, <laughs> Why? Because there's no such thing. There's no such thing as perfect. And the minute we get to this place that we believe that there is, this is the gospel. The gospel tells us that every single one of us is a little messed up, is a little marred, is a lot of messed up, a lot of marred, and Jesus is the only perfect one. But somehow we've been duped into believing that we can walk out this journey and arrive at a destination of awesome. But I'm here to tell us today that this is why change doesn't happen in our life. It's because we believe that we've arrived somewhere, and as quickly as we believe that we've arrived, how many of you know it quickly goes away? I was snowboarding a couple weeks ago, and uh, I got a season pass this year because I want to get better at snowboarding. And, uh, and I'm getting better at snowboarding. It's pretty it's pretty fun, and we're t- teaching my kids and everything like that. So I went out with a buddy a couple weeks ago, and, and we, were, we were doing the thing. And how many of you know that when guys get together, it has a tendency to get cocky pretty quick? Right? It's just, just the way it goes. And so I'm cruising along, and we're going, and, and, and I'm, on that, I'm in that moment where, like, I'm cruising on my board. And you know how, like, literally your disposition changes when you have this, like, realization that you're cool? Right? Like, all of a sudden, you, like, you get ten times cockier, ten times more aware of yourself, and you're like, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, so I'm on my board and I'm surfing and it changed from like really paying attention to what I'm doing to like standing there going, I'm awesome, (laughs) I'm awesome and I'm cruising down the mountain and I'm literally talking to myself, I'm like, you're getting so good, Jason, this is great, you're carving so well and I'm just bombing the mountain I'm going and my buddy's behind me and I'm going as hard as I possibly can and literally the moment that I thought to myself, dude, you're getting so good at this, I caught an edge. Not only did I catch an edge, but that edge was like, I'm going to teach you. (laughs) That's You're Not Awesome. And it flung me down the mountain, and I'm rolling, just rolling. And we get to the bottom. After I get up, I laid there for like probably like seven minutes. I laid there trying to breathe because I had the wind knocked out of me, which hadn't happened since like fifth grade. And I'm trying to figure out what just happened in my life in that moment. I'm like looking up, and I'm like, there's light coming towards me it's the sun. (laughs) So I finally get down to the lift, and and my buddy's like, dude, are you, like, are you okay? Like, are you, what was going on? I didn't didn't know where you went. And I was like, I crashed hard. He's like, are you good? I'm like, I think we need to go. (laughs) And literally, we left, (laughs) because I wasn't having it anymore. And I think this is why Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. It says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. And this is the problem with a destination-built mentality, is that we get to a certain place in life, we think that we've arrived, and we quickly realize that we haven't, so we get frustrated at this process of change because we believe we're supposed to get somewhere. But I want to let you know that life, faith, it's a journey, not a destination. The destination's heaven, Right? But day in, day out, if we're gonna pursue a life of change and progress that's anchored in Jesus, we have to be okay with change in, change out. Day in, day out. Little tiny steps, little tiny moments of victories, little tiny wins, not this grand glorious moment where everybody throws you a party and all of a sudden you've arrived. And this is what happens in relationships too and why change is difficult. Have you ever had somebody not allow you to change? You know when you're trying to change and that you're like, maybe like you're a year into change. Okay, I'm going to stop thinking this way. And then I'm a year into change. And then I, I revert back to old. You ever been there before? You revert back to an old way of doing things or an old way of seeing things. And then the person calls you out. See, you have not changed. And in that judgment call, what they're saying to you is not that you haven't changed. They're expecting perfection. But we can't be perfect. There's going to be moments where I change. And while I've changed a lot in the past year, I'm not where I used to be, but man, I still got a journey ahead of me. I'm not where I want to be because there's some things in front of me that I'm desiring, but I've changed a lot. And if I realize in my process of change that there's still more ahead of me, I haven't arrived at a destination, I realize that there's still work to do. There's still work to do. There's still moments to change day in and day out. I love parenting, but I'm not perfect at it. So every single day is a greater opportunity for me to become a better parent, better husband, better leader, better pastor. Come on, somebody. And so the first reason that our change doesn't work is because we see a destination and not a discipline. Number two, come on, everybody shout. Number two. Number two. Number two. We see behavior instead of beholding. I'll explain this in a minute. We see behavior instead of beholding. Hopefully you love your Bible. Big portion of scripture that I'm about to read, 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18. And for some of us, this could get really, really confusing, so I'm going to explain it in just a minute, but just kind of, just go with me on this piece of scripture. It says, now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more Glory. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being what? Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Here's the point. We can never encounter God and remain unchanged. So what Paul's writing about here is he's kind of doing a rewind to to their past, to their historical past, and he's talking about when Moses goes up on the mountain to to receive the commandments on on stone tablets, and while he's up there, the Bible describes this interaction between him and God so that literally the glory of the Lord rests upon Moses and his face was shining, so he'd have to wear a veil because the children of Israel would freak out about it. And one time he comes down from the mountain and they're building a golden calf because God wasn't good enough just simply taking him out of captivity. They needed something stationary to worship. And isn't that the truth about all of us? We'll do whatever we can do to worship something. And this is what was going on. And so Paul writes in this moment, talking about the old covenant, this law that stood on tablets, he says, wait a second, something new has come. And while the old is glorious, there's something even more glorious. His name is Jesus. And for many of us, we're like the children of Israel, myself included, as we have a tendency to try to go back to the thing that we understand, which is behavior modification versus learning how to behold Jesus and be transformed in that moment. Let me illustrate it this way. Married couples have a tendency over time to become like each other. They say opposites attract, but then in time, They are no longer opposites. They're the same. It's a really beautiful picture. Erica and I have known each other forever. We met in fifth grade. She laid her eyes upon me in kids ministry and it was game over for her. And so... (laughs) These are the things I get to say when I'm on stage. It's awesome. (laughs) From that time forward, we were constantly trying to be around each other. How many of you know in high school... High school sweethearts, they fall in love with pated right? And they can't keep them away from each other. They're texting each other and Instagramming each other, all these different things. Like back in our day, we had to like call each other. <laughs> you know, how many remember those days, the good days? When you had to remember 500 numbers. Like you had Joe's number in Milwaukee memorized, Right? Those are the, and so we would call each other, we try to be around each other all the time. Her parents were constantly trying to keep us away from each other. Why? Because we were in this moment of beholding each other. We went through college, we got married, and we've been in 13 years of beholding each other. And while we were kind of different, a lot of different when we got married, over these 13 years of beholding one another, we've actually become Somewhat similar, we, can, we think like each other and we complete each other's thoughts and sentences and know what the other one's thinking by, by a simple look and, and what it is that they're feeling, why? Because we've been beholding each other for 13 years and this is what Paul is saying. When you behold Jesus, when you gaze upon him, when you keep your eyes fixed on him and your heart locked into him, then you transform and become more like him. It's about proximity. Have you ever noticed that you become who you're around? Good, bad, right, wrong, indifferent? Here's the truth. Many of us are simply trying to behave for Jesus instead of behold him. And this is why so many people don't ever step over the threshold of those doors in church is because they think that simply church is a behavior modification class. You didn't invite them to church, you invited them to Behavior Modification 101. I'm going to show up in church and they're going to teach me how to behave. I'm not behave, I'm Joe. And that's how many of us look at it. But Jesus says, no, no, I don't want to teach you how to behave. I want you to behold me. And when you behold me, transformation is a natural byproduct of that. And I know for us A-type personalities that need one, two, three, A, B, C, this is frustrating us internally. Because you're like, I've spent 15 years behaving. <laughs> That's the point. Have you ever met the Christian who's behaved for 15 years? They look constipated. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing what happens when you behold something. You behold someone. And Paul's saying, if you want change in your life, understand behavior modification will never, ever win it. Why? Because it's predicated on your power, not his power. And we are not that powerful. Hence why we know failure day in and day out. So the point is this, the reason our change doesn't work is because we see behavior instead of of beholding. Peter Haas, author of the book Pharisectomy, How to Joyfully Remove Your Inner Pharisee and Other Religiously Transmitted transmitted Diseases, writes this. (laughs) It's the title of the book, it's awesome. He says, obedience is now just one of the fun ways we say thanks to him, while he drenches us with favor, favor, it naturally flows from our lives. Christianity is not a process in which we earn love. It's a process in which we reflect love. And some of us are in the trap of still trying to earn what he's freely given instead of reflecting what we have. Come on, am I talking to somebody this morning? I want to challenge us as we end this series. And man, I was super tempted to be like, okay, let's do a really practical message on change, like how to change. But then I realized that in my life, if you're like me, I've tried to change a bunch of times in my own power, my own stride, my own strength, my own reality, and I've quickly come to the end of that rope and I'm frustrated and I'm angry, but when I've dropped everything at the foot of the cross, the one who says, I love you and I gave my life for you, when I find myself there beholding him, I change I transform, like Paul says, from one glory, glorious moment to another glorious moment. And many of us are living in religion instead of operating in relationship. And I know, I know, I know the the, the reflex It's like, no, but, but but what about like, are are you giving license for people to sin? Last time I checked, we don't need a license. We do it really well. I don't need to give permission. So we're not saying that. That's the thing is that we think that grace gives permission to unlawful living. But what Paul is saying is that when you experience grace, when you behold Jesus, there is no other option but for transformation because I've just beheld somebody that's greater than me, stronger than me, more able than me and I rest my life in him and therefore I change. That is the gospel. The good news is that we have a perfect Savior who gave his life for imperfect people so that we could walk out this process joyfully following him, worshiping him, loving him, and reaching the world around us. And so for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, the Bible says. Number three, come on, every shout number three. Number three, the third and last one is this, is that we see a system instead of a Savior. The third reason our change doesn't work is because we see a system instead of a savior. Luke chapter 14 verses 1 through 6, probably one of the weirdest passages of scripture that I've read in a while. It says this, one Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. That's just a setup for a weird moment. If you go over to somebody's house for dinner and they just stare at you awkwardly, get out leave quick. So they were watching him carefully. Verse 2, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. If you don't know what dropsy is, it's a condition in which fluid builds up in your body in different, different places. It swells up to great degrees. And this is an interesting piece of scripture because, for one, Pharisees were not known for staying with people who were dealing with issues. The Pharisees represent religion. Religion that stays away from those who are hurting and broken. So biblical commentators and scholars actually believe that the Pharisees pulled this man into the situation just simply to test Jesus, to throw another kind of wrench in the works. But here we are, this dinner party, Jesus is sitting there, the Pharisees are sitting there, this very sick, inflicted man is sitting there, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent now you know this dinner party's gone weird. So just not talking to him. So Jesus is like, fine, we'll do it my way. Then he took him, the man, with dropsy, and healed him and sent him away. All right, let's do this. And then he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into the well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Little context is this, is that even healing according to the law was unlawful to do because it was deemed as work. And so the Pharisees sitting here with this man who had been inflicted with this great disease wouldn't take the opportunity to try to heal him because they saw things systematically in their world instead of lovingly through the eyes of Jesus. And Jesus says, I will gladly step over the lines of a law so that I can heal somebody out of the love that I have for them and this is the problem this is why our change doesn't work is because so many of us are doing our life of faith with Jesus out of this dutiful systematic approach rather than looking to a savior who says I love you and he beckons us to come the Pharisees had a system They had a religious adherence that would stifle any attempt for something to be done out of love. But Jesus showed them another way. A Savior's way. We take our Sabbath, if you will, on Sundays. Jesus is pretty much saying it's a lot like this. Jason, if you're sitting at home one Sunday afternoon, resting, watching TV, eating chili... Hear a scream from your backyard that sounds like your son. So you run to the door and you open up the door and you look, and there's your son lying on the ground. And not only is he lying on the ground, but he's severely injured himself, to which he's bleeding profusely. A catastrophic injury. And instead of responding to him like a father does, you simply stick your head out and you say, It's Sunday! Can you keep it down? How many of you know I have not won Father of the Year award? That is the picture of religion. That we say systematically by by the law, by the rules, I can't do this. But Jesus said, listen, guys, you're gonna put a man in front of me who needs me. I don't care what the system is, I'm going to heal him. I don't care what the rules are, I'm going to heal him. And so many of us are caught up in a systematic approach to things instead of understanding this truth which will change your life. Jesus loves you. He's always loved you. He loves you now. He loved you last night. He'll love you tomorrow. He loves you unequivocally. The reason that I get so passionate about this is because I want to be a pastor who points you to the greatest pastor. The one who is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and find rest in me. Because some of us are trying to change. We're trying to break addictions. We're trying to remove situations in our own willpower. And I'm going to tell you something. It ain't going to work. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. We need a Savior, not a system. So one more time, Peter Haas writes in this book. The Bible isn't a list of requirements. Rather, (laughs) I love this. It's a list of results after experiencing God's love. Following God isn't an action, but it's a reaction. And if you have to painstakingly motivate yourself or others to serve God because it's the right thing to do, you've already missed the very foundations of Biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity says this, Jesus loved me so much that he gave his life so that I might find life even while I was yet living in my dysfunction and my brokenness and my sin, he looked at me and he says he loves me. And some of us have been trying so hard to get him to love you instead of realizing he does because you're caught up in a system, not caught up in a savior. And when we get caught up in a savior, that's when life changes. When I get caught up in Jesus, my life changes. When I get caught up in his love, my life changes. When I get caught up in his healing. My life changes. When I get caught up in his hope, my life changes. When I get caught up in his joy, my life changes. It's in Jesus.